48-hour art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube. 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is selfishness and being self-serving and how that will absolutely destroy you in the marketplace. Um, So I have noticed uh, several types of attitudes in kind of the upcoming generation. And so I I teach and uh, that means that I get to interact with um, awesome, awesome students. And one of the reasons that I really enjoy teaching is because one of the things about industry um, is everybody gets really burnt out and tired. Uh, you know, if they work st- certain types of jobs for a while. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I was in, I was in a place where I had some awesome people that I was working with. And I also had some of those lifers that were just like resigned to their fate. And that's just what they're going to do until they died. And it was like so draining to be around them. And so then I started teaching and then there's all these students that are like, yeah, let's go get them. And, and it was really, yeah. really awesome. Also, though, on the flip side, you also get people who are in their 20s um, that are still trying to figure things out. And there have been some there have been some um, there have been some incidences in the last you know couple of semesters that have gotten me kind of fired up. And there's some stuff that kind of brought this up recently where I'm thinking, I, I really want to explain how this works. So if you are kind of out to get everything for yourself, right? Um, There's a huge downside to that. And the downside to that is that you are going to be a person that no one wants to work with. Okay. And I, and I do believe in being in relationships and whether that be a business relationship or a partnership or a romantic relationship or, or whatever that are balanced where there's a, there's a good exchange of value. You know, Um, Josh and I are in, in a, in an art check relationship. And I feel like I give value into that situation. I feel like I receive value in that situation. Right. And so it, it never feels to me like a drain. It never feels to me like, like I'm unbalanced. Um, and, and that's because both people are receiving value. Okay. So I'm not talking about that, but what I'm talking about is if you have a specific attitude of like, well, what's in it for me? Or if you go, if you go throughout life, um, always trying to do this. Now here's, here's something that kind of happened, uh, years and years and years ago where, um, luckily this person took it well, but I remember I asked somebody on my team to do something and, uh, we were at a small company and at small companies, you've got to be very agile, meaning you wear a lot of different hats. You do a lot of different things. And I said, I said, Hey, so-and-so, um, would you mind doing this thing for me? I need you to do this. Um, you know, come back and tell me how it was. And then he said, uh, you know, that's not in my job description. And, oh. and so I ended the meeting right there. I said, um, so-and-so and I are going to have a talk. Everybody else can, I'll call you back in if I need you. And, uh, and he kind of was like, uh-oh, you know. And I said, listen, you can pull that if you want, um, but that'll be the end of your time here. Like if you want, if you want to pull this job description crap, um, you know, and be really, really letter of the law with how you interact with, uh, with this company and with me and whatever, um, 
you know, that's, that's a really selfish way to look at things. And I can tell you right now that while you might not get fired, you definitely will not enjoy the rest of your time here for several reasons. One is, uh, that just tells me that you want to be an order taker and you just want to, you never want to grow. You never want to stretch. You never want to do anything more. And so if you tell me that my job description is X and you don't want to do anything outside of X, okay, uh, I'm never going to give you th anything outside of X. That even the fun stuff, even the stuff that you might want to grow into, the stuff that you might want to be promoted into, it's just yeah. not going to happen, right? The other thing that it yeah. tells me is that you're not a team player, right? And yep. I only work with people who are team players because um, we can't afford not to. We're understaffed. We're doing way more, um, you know, than than this group of people should be should be able to do. And I don't have time nor the inclination to deal with somebody who says, well, my title is X, not Y. And it's like, well, you know what? The work needs to get done and we're on a team and we help each other. Yeah. And so there was this whole, this whole thing. And luckily that individual, you know, stepped it up and said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I will, I will do whatever. Um, <coughs> another time uh, there was somebody who was constantly trying to get everything in writing. And it was, it was this idea of like, um, you know, like, uh, will you, will you give that to me in writing? Will you get that to me in writing? And I was like, I'm just asking you to do something, right? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing you to the wolves or anything. If it doesn't go well, it's obvious that it's my idea. But also, if you are constantly looking for things to fail, and constantly yeah. looking for the the way out, um, you're not a team player. You're looking out yeah. only for yourself, and that attitude is probably going to cause what it is that I asked you to do to fail in the first place because yeah. you expect it to. So again, yeah. not a team player, whatever. And so it, it, it just comes down to this. Now on the flip side of that, the other side is the, is the person who um, is not selfish. And I'm not talking about being selfless to a detriment where you are so giving that you're, you know, you're working too many hours, you know, you're not getting your job done, you're not having your needs met, you know, you're doing too much and you, you, you kind of just run dry in the amount yeah. of giving. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you see somebody that needs help, and you have the ability to do something about it, you do it, right? You see something yeah. that is outside of your job description and somebody on your team needs you to help lift something that they're lifting, you lift it, right? Yeah. And if you see something that needs to be done, you see some help that you can do, you see a way that you can improve somebody's life yeah. and you don't see any direct benefit to you, I can tell you that there are a numerous number of indirect benefits, but that's not even the point. The point is that you are a human being and so are other people around you. And if you treat people like human beings, there's this magic thing that happens where people stop looking at everybody with a mean and hungry look of what can I get from them or what are they going to do? Because the selfish person looks at everyone as either a sycophant or an attacker. And if you are yeah. seeing, if you are only going to view the world through how is this person going, to, how can I use this person or how is this person going to victimize me? Then you are going to live a, a, a short and miserable life where no one yeah. will work with you. No one will want to be on your team. No one will want to help you. And um, you're just going to burn out. And then you're going to do stuff like this, which drives me crazy. I, I get these surveys that I do for students. We had 600 students take the survey and like, you know, <laughs> everybody's super happy. They're really excited. Yeah. Like 80% of the graduates are working in the yeah. field that they wanted to work in, you know, uh -huh. um, all this stuff. And then you get that one person that like, is like, this degree is terrible. I can't get a job with this degree, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, I don't think it's the degree, man. I think you're probably just either useless or you're a jerk. Right. And so yeah. 
But but it's never my fault. It's never my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. And so it's this whole thing that just drives me crazy. In the art world or in anything where you are trying to produce uh, creativity, um, being selfish about that is yeah. is the worst tact that you can take. Because the best definition of networking that I've ever heard is not it's not who you know. It's who you've helped. Yep. That's a good point. I, I think that's all like incredibly good advice. And, um, and it's funny because I, I also just want to take the, the sort of standpoint of, um, cause I like 100% relate to that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I want to take the, the kind of counter standpoint a little bit by saying like some of those negative qualities are also signs of like immaturity. Um, and so like, a lot of that gets worked out of people as they work their way through the industry right? Um, and get a little more battle hardened and a little wiser about like what hills they want to die on and what, um, what particular like things they do need written and things they don't need written. Um, and once again, like this is the hardest part. And I, I wish more um, like when you brought up the counter problem, I wish more people developed this skill sooner. Unfortunately, I think for people like Corey and myself, like type A personalities, it's like, it's definitely one of those things that's really hard to learn. And you can only really learn through experience, which is, um, you know, you have to know your limits and the only way you learn your limits, this is the hard part about it is by testing and pushing your limits. Yeah. Um, and, and so unfortunately, a lot of the time the way to learn it is you have a couple burnouts and then you're like, hopefully learn your lesson through a couple burnouts and, and, and learn when to like, when you actually have to say no. Um, because that's a, that's a valuable skill in a workplace too. Yeah. Um, especially with like the, the type of leader or teacher I am, I'm going to push someone to their absolute capacity. Um, and, and it, you know, um, I love doing that because I love seeing people grow and flourish. And, uh, and that's honestly one of my favorite draws to like leadership and teaching and mentoring. And even honestly, even like the advice we occasionally give on these shows, like seeing people grow and flourish or take on challenges and defeat them. It's like one of the most, um, when you're a part of a team and you do that, that is like this, it's like this existential joy and, and it's very brief, but it is one of the best feelings you can get in the planet being like, here's a team that did it and, and like actually all collaborated and made it work when it seemed impossible. Yeah. And, um, and, and I see that like, uh, you know, I see that with, um, like the team that like Mike is kind of heading up with the hundreds anthology. It's like, there's this crazy goal and everybody's been, um, kind of going 110% and, and this thing's going to be cool, um, because of that. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, the only other thing I'd want to chime in it just with is just, I agree. (laughs) Like, yeah, um, that's a valuable lesson. And the way you've worded things, um, I really, I mean, obviously you're a communications major, so you always have a, a real gift for that, but it, but it is, um, it is a rare and, and, and kind of, fascinating and inspiring thing i might borrow some of your language (laughs) yeah and i mean like i've thought thought a lot about this because i used to be an objective an objectivist Mm -hmm. with ann rand and that type of thing um 
very short period of time when I was younger. (laughs) And, and so I feel like a lot of that type of thinking is, is really prevalent when your brain isn't fully developed. And now I'm going to offend anybody who likes Ayn Rand, which I'm okay with. Um, and, uh, so anyway, like the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged and things like that, there's a lot of really interesting and good ideas in those books that I agree with. Um, but in addition to those, there's also this idea that everybody should be out for themselves and that selfishness um, is what drives the market. And so you shouldn't yeah. make a decision that isn't completely self-serving. And the idea that even altruism um, where you just genuinely want to be a nice person and help other people when you have the opportunity is super yeah. self-serving. Um, that, there's a huge <laughs> problem with this is when you are, when you are looking at people as things, when you're yeah. looking at people as ways to, you know, step up or whatever, um, you know, it's, it, it, it becomes problematic when you look at relationships transactionally because, yeah. As, as much as I believe, and I do believe this, that friendships are an exchanging of debt, an exchanging yeah. of obligation, right? That somebody yeah. does something nice, you do something nice back, and you you trade that back and forth. But as soon as that friendship becomes like, well, let's see, I did three nice things for you, and you've only done two nice things for me, yeah, so you owe exactly. me. Count. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, you, that brings up just the the... The fact that you're bringing up the count that that happens with that kind of personality and and I will uh, like I'm going to admit to like there have been times in my life where I've had moments right. of thinking right. of things transactionally like that and they've never been rewarding right which is which is and rewarding I mean uh, like for for the soul I don't know if that makes sense um, it just kind of leads to a lot of resentment um, but. But one thing that I'd also tie into that is like that also happens to be like a huge factor in mental illness mm-hmm. where where one of the big tricks of mental illness is list thinking. Right. So like if you think about like depression, people are making a list of all the events that have happened terribly in their lives. And I try to kind of pinpoint some of that type of thinking in my comic because um, it deals with, you know, like depression and but but then with like um anxiety it's it's a list it's a list of all your fears and all the possible things and it's this list of like and if an if a fear happens it's it's a fear of oh it's another one of those things another it's that kind of mentality of instead of taking things in the moment and kind of experiencing them and getting over them and dealing with whatever's right in front of you it's like this very um list based thinking of, of like all the infractions that people have done and all the good that people have done. And that's just not how people or timelines work. And, um, I, man, we're, we're going to have to pinpoint the Ayn Randian thing. Cause I have all, <laughs> all kinds of issues with Ayn Rand, but yeah. there was a point when I was in like maybe seventh grade where I, I read Atlas shrugged and I was like, this is pretty smart. I wish and I was, the, I wish the, I was it, that young when I liked it, but I was way older. Well, that's that's okay. There's a lot of the populace that does, and I think there are things that are appealing about it because it, it it's like you know. But but once again, I don't want to offend people who are fans. Um, but I would say, like, I just think that when you think about the just the point of the title of the book, the idea that there are the, there are people who the world is balancing on the shoulders of, right. and that if they shrug, the whole thing will collapse. Yeah. I think that that right there is just a sign of slight mental illness, because if anyone views themselves in that way, 
um, they might be a little like they, they might be looking at themselves with a little too much. Um, uh, I, I don't uh, It's hard to explain, but it's like, no, I, I, I can, they, I can take it from here. The, the, the yeah. idea is that um, our perception of things, we often mistake our perception as reality when in exactly. fact our perception is one of millions of ways at looking at reality. There is an actual reality, right? Yeah. None of us are actually capable of understanding it. Like you're not actually seeing light, right? That's not, that's yeah. not how your perception of visuals works. What happens is that there are rods and cones in the back of your eyeball that translate exactly. things into electrical impulses. And then your brain invents from those electrical impulses, what you're looking at. That's not actually how things are the same thing yeah. with your hearing, right? It's just vibration of your air that goes into your ear canal that moves your eardrum around that turns into an electrical impulse that your brain invents. And from yeah. the same, from the same aspect of that, like the gestalt principles of, of psychology of, you know, the psychology of perception, our best guess on how we perceive things isn't even really that accurate and can be easily tricked. And beyond that, you're not omnipotent. You're not omnipotent yeah. and you're not omniscient. And so because you don't have all power and all knowledge and you're not everywhere, you yeah. have a very small fraction of the information that you need to make these big giant judgments. And so a lot exactly. of the things that you are making these judgments on, um, you don't realize unless you check yourself, well, that's what I perceived, but that's not necessarily what everybody else perceived. And yeah. you, if you never check yourself and you never say, what if I'm wrong, which is a yeah. normal thing that most mature people are capable of doing, and I'm not using age here, I'm using maturity. Um, most mature people are capable of saying, it is possible in my mind to be wrong. It is also possible in my mind that I can be wrong and that it does not diminish my self-worth or my ability. Yeah. It just means that I perceived something differently or I didn't have all the information. And from that, then you can start understanding and empathizing with what's going on. But if you feel that your perception is reality, then you will start to think that the universe is there because of you and to serve you and everything yeah. exists, you know, and then you never, you never think, well, maybe actually I'm just not that important in this particular scenario. You know, exactly. maybe, maybe the person that, who cut that, me off that, in the that, freeway didn't intend to ruin my day. They have no idea yeah. that I exist. Yeah. And, and, and I think actually I just wanted to jump in because that is a really good point. And, and weirdly enough, um, this is just like my own experience, but it's like when I've had like throes of like really severe depression, um, one of the biggest, like most comforting things that you wouldn't imagine is comforting to think is to realize that I'm, I'm actually not that significant. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I think that a lot of the time when people kind of exaggerate reality um, or like, like I've definitely witnessed this um, with, with like, with, you know, artists who like, it's a very, it's a, it's a very selfie endeavor. It's like, you have to really engage with your own mind to create this thing. And it's very, um, it's very internalized. It's an internalized process. But one of the dangers with that internalization is if you internalize your own reality, right. like, and, and, and I think that I've seen that with, with young artists, especially young artists, where they'll internalize their reality. Like, 
I made a drawing. I feel good about it. So therefore the whole world should feel good about it. And, um, and that's not necessarily the case. Like, um, because like going back to the Atlas shrug thing, it's like, you know, not just Titans of industry are balancing, um, worlds on their shoulders. Like most people are balancing heavy burdens in their lives. Yep. And, and, um, the second you get that, um, it, 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 it makes you, at least for me, it makes me like way more prone to be kind to people because I don't know before I approach someone, whether they just lost a family member, whether they're going through some financial struggle whether they're having family, family or marital problems, whether like they're, you know, whether they had a terrible childhood, like you don't know those things about people um, when you're approaching them. And you don't know if like the person like, you know, who's maybe slow at service at a restaurant or something, maybe instead of them having a vendetta or the restaurant (laughs) being a problem and everything around you being a problem, maybe it's just, like that, that person had like one of the hardest days at their job or something. And that's why that's delaying. Or maybe there's a food delivery problem or something like that. The point being like, it's just not all about you. And that's the, the the second you can kind of grasp that as a human being, it, it, it becomes really freeing. And it's weird because it it's counterintuitive to what that kind of mindset tells you because the, the kind of mindset that's stuck in the very self uh, it, it kind of, um, will, will fool you to think that, um, it is all about you. Right. And so any other, you know, which is, and once again, it, it's a natural struggle because we're all kind of trapped in ourselves and incapable of actually traveling into another person and kind of seeing from their perspective. But when you mentally start trying to do that, Um, Just trying to kind of like, okay, I'm angry at this situation. I'm going to step back. And what would this look like if if I were in the other perspective? Um, That ability is is a really hard thing to teach. It's a a hard thing to um, develop as a person, I think. And and I definitely can say having a kid, it's not natural. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's not. born that way. No, I think Um, think most human beings for the first time, three or four years of their lives. And I, and I don't mean this as an insult, yeah. um, are, are fairly sociopathic. Um, oh, yeah. you know, and, and I don't mean that as, as a, as an illness or, or as a, as a disorder. What I mean is, um, almost don't have the ability to empathize with any other viewpoint other than their own. You know, I mean, at the very beginning, it's like, I'm hungry. Why isn't anyone feeding me? And you lose it. Right. And then, and then as it moves on, your world is so small that you're, you basically, before you go to school, you know, like two people, right? Yeah. Maybe, you know, three or four people, but you don't know hundreds of people. You don't even know 20 people. And so it seems like they're these adults that just continue to do things for you all the time. And that's perfectly normal and natural. And that's how the world should be. And so then you get into kindergarten and you're like, what are all these other kids about? You know, like, I mean, I, you know, the world is about me and you spend the next 12 years trying to figure out maybe that's not the case as your brain is developing. Um, I want to bring this to art because I find this fascinating. This, this, this is another way, this is another way of looking at this. Okay. We got like, we got like one minute. Okay. (laughs) Selfishly, um, 
if you create something and the endorphins are firing, you've got dopamine and serotonin because the process of creation releases all kinds of fun chemicals in your brain and you have a good time creating something and then you show it to someone and they don't like it. If your reaction is um, that they are wrong because your experience um, was good, then you're missing the point, right? You might've enjoyed creating that thing, but that does not objectively make that thing good. And so taking a moment to say that that person's opinion might have some value to you, even though they disagree with you, you might say, well, you know what? That person's opinion could be valuable. I wonder why they don't like it. And then you bring this back to storytelling and you can say like, if you can understand people who think differently than you, then -hmm. you can write and draw some really interesting stories. But if everyone agrees with you in your story, if everyone is some sort of facet of your personality, that's a really boring and a fairly selfish story that isn't going to really get off the ground. 100%. And, and like, so this is something that I've thought about a lot, um, considering it's auto bio, um, that I've been delving into because the risk of auto bio is always like coming across as some insane narcissist, you know? <laughs> right. And, and I've read a lot of auto bios like that, where it's like somebody being like, I walk down the street and I'm right. And I'm always right. Oh, isn't this person terrible? You know, that kind of thing. Right. And so one of the ways that I tried to kind of prevent the self from getting too kind of self aggrandizing was, um, to actually like try to exaggerate um, if anything, like not gloss or paint pretty pictures of what I was like at the time I'm writing about, but instead like exaggerate my flaws, particularly in the stories that deal with like more adulthood type stuff and not, not the, the childhood ones are a little more whimsical, yeah. but it's, but it is one of those things that I think if you're going to get into auto bio, at least for the, the type of brand of that, that I like it's a, uh, you know, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the things that makes R. Crumb so fascinating as a cartoonist, especially when he delves into autobio or, um, or the stuff he did with Har- Harvey Picar, who wrote brilliant autobio, is Picar does not paint himself well. Like you don't get this great impression of Harvey Picar and be like, I want to hang out with that guy. You're like, <laughs> you get this really wacky impression where you're like, this guy has major mental problems. Right and anger issues and uh, and um and and like i think that's what makes it so fascinating to read um like american splendor is it you know it is that that element of it like it's 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 pretty raw and i think um i think that's something to consider out there like whether you're delving into auto, especially if you're delving into auto bio but whenever you're delving into story to, storytelling it's like do all your characters speak with the same voice do um do all your characters see things from the same exact viewpoint you do? Because um, that that would be really bizarre. That that would start feeling like a very strange. Although that might be a good story, is like how weird it would be for a character to live in a world where everyone agrees with them. Um, that would be like a creepy kind of Black Mirror episode. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a great way to wrap this up. Yes. So you, you tell those, you, you decide not to be selfish and show your, um, show your flaws, you know, in your work. And what happens is that other people relate to that because no one is perfect. And deep down, we know that we're all flawed. And so when we see realistic and authentic, um, storytelling, we relate to it and you build connections with other people rather than, 
um, people going, well, that person sure thinks a lot of themselves or, you know, whatever it's like, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. I've, I've been angry before. I've, I've felt sad before I've, you know, been in love before, you know, and you tell those authentic stories in a real way of how you might be perceived by other people. If you're being honest, rather than how you'd like to perceive yourself. And then all of a sudden you got some traction. Yeah. And, and, um, to cap that, I just think there's a real strength to admitting weakness. And, uh, and that's, that's a hard learned lesson for like a manager, but it's one of those things and a teacher, um, the inclination when you first get in a group of people is just to come across as a badass with like no flaws. And what's fascinating (laughs) that happens with a classroom where your class starts connecting with you is when they're like, Oh, you, you, you clicked the wrong thing. And you're like, I did, I'm an idiot, you know? And they're like, it's surprisingly like they're way more responsive to that than being like, I know exactly what I clicked. And, you know, like if you double down (laughs) on an error, you always come across looking like a moron. And part of the reason for that is, is the fact that you are, you are exposing an ego that is so like walled off. Um, And it does expose a lot of that kind of, that kind of mentality that, that Corey's talking about. So I think to me, I think that, um, this is a really man. I want to I want to hit the topic more, but I got puppets to make, so we'll have to call it. Okay, why don't you why don't you uh, sing us out here, Josh? Oh, okay. Uh, you can check out my work at <laughs> quarterlystories.com. You can check out Corey's work at Forty Eight Hour Art Check, and uh, you know um, since he's in the in the uh, in the chats and has a Kickstarter, I'm going to give a little shout out to Scott Circland. Go to youngandthedead.com and support his Kickstarter today. And if you're listening to this podcast, give us a four-star review. and uh, Or if it goes to five stars, that'd be cool too. Or if you hate it, give us a one star. But regardless, give us a review on iTunes and check us out on iTunes because we're uh, putting podcasts up there. And uh, 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 that's it. Um, okay, the, the world is, is still balancing on our shoulders. I think we're good. Corey, are we good to go? We're good. As long as I'm still in the most important person, we're, we're fine. Perfect.